the rivalry between Lehman and Goldman goes back to those 1850s. Mm. Here's 150, 160 years of this rivalry. Now you have a chance to stick it to one of your competitors. Do you take it? Is that the right thing to do? Welcome to the Pure Theater Podcast. I'm Rodney Lee Rogers, and that was economist Steve Slifer, longtime Pure patron, been around almost from the very beginning, so it goes back all the way to the cigar factory. We're up with the Lehman Brothers now, when in a conversation with Steve, learned that he actually worked for Lehman. Perfect conversation about the culture at Lehman and what it really means to be an economist. As Steve says, we're all economists one way or the other. So without further ado, Steve Slifer. beginning almost. Do you remember, do, it was at the Cigar Factory? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember the Cigar Factory and then the little shopping center and yeah. the church and, and all of these kind of things. Do you so, remember the show? can't remember which one, which was the first Yeah. I, well, it was, that was such an interesting time. Have you been back to the Cigar Factory? Oh, yeah. Oh, what a wonderful place. It's uh, amazing what they've done. Garden and Gun has their headquarters in there, which you may or may not know. I didn't know that. And uh, so I've been over to visit them and I was just trying to figure out how I could get a job at Garden and Gun. <laughs> just love, <laughs> I just love the place. Yeah. It's wonderful. They've done a wonderful job with that. I would have loved to have been able to stay there. I just love that area. And that building is so fascinating. I would have loved to have stayed, but once, once it sold there, you know, it upscaled. I'm trying to remember the first time we met it, you go all the way back. I go back a long way. I think probably even the first year. When you came in 2003, where were you coming from? New York City. Yeah. Been been working for Lehman Brothers. Retired. Thought I was going to retire. That lasted about six months. Retirement is a concept that is grossly overrated in my view. It's just extremely boring. I can't see it. Yeah. And there's a whole generation of men who can't wait to turn 65 so they're going to retire. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the old days... You would retire at 65, but when Social Security was first adopted, retirement, you, you would die at 67. So yeah. you're around two years and you croak, right? Yeah. But now retirement age hasn't changed much, but now you're going to live to be 85. Do you just really want to sit on your butt for 20 years of your lifetime? Is that what it's all about? Ooh. I can't imagine that. I, so, I really can't. Like I, like when we, we talk about it's, it's not even a concept I embrace at all. It's like, it's like, yeah. It's even, changing, but yeah. I mean, I think there's a whole generation of men who can't wait to get there, to get to that age. And they think yeah. their life is going to change. And then, so, but then the question is, what do you do? Yeah. And then you'd say, well, uh, I'll start a little business. Oh, and you think you're going to retire? Not, you're not going to have a very good business <laughs> if you do that. Yeah. Well, I want to give back. Oh, right. So what's that look like? You're going to run a nonprofit? Seriously? Yeah. Uh, Serious work. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's just not something you're going to do. But I don't think men have figured it out. Yeah. And for me, that's what I thought I was going to do. I was going to play. I was going to run and play tennis and golf and do all these things. And I, I just got bored. Didn't but then that. along came the recession. Knowing I was an economist, people kept saying, well, what do you think? Well, what do you think? Well, I don't know. But that sounded sort of like a business opportunity. <laughs> Yeah. So I kind of run around now and just give a few speeches. Basically, I do all the things I was doing at Lehman Brothers, but at my pace, not right. at Lehman Brothers. Pace. Right. 
And so it's fun. Yeah. It's still great. Here I am. I'm getting to be an old fart and I'm still enjoying it thoroughly. And I keep thinking, well, I ought to be giving this up. And then I kind of go, why? Why? I'm yeah. having a good time. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that sort of what it's about? And so, and do you, do you do this on like a national level? You kind of go all over? It's mostly, it's, yeah. the answer is mostly local, state, right. southeast, but I'm not trying to build a business, yeah, right? I exactly. mean, I'm past that. I'm, to me, I've got some knowledge that I've accumulated over the 50 years I've been doing this. And I kind of want to pass along some of that stuff to others, uh-huh. younger generations. And so, yeah, if I can make a few bucks out of it, that's fine. Yeah. But you ever, you ever not, thought about teaching? It's not all about money. Yeah. Have you ever thought about teaching? Teaching is okay. I do a couple of little classes every now and then, but mm. not as an, not as an adjunct professor. Just somebody invites me to talk to their classes right, about speaking. what it's like at the Fed. And I love the Fed. I really enjoyed those years at the Federal Reserve. I love that. What it's, what's it like to be an economist? What do you, how do you sort of get the training you need? What does an economist do? Um, so I enjoy that. I enjoy interacting with, with some of the students, but teaching, I tried the university of Phoenix and yeah, well. all of a sudden they wanted me to just kind of teach to the textbooks. That, that's not what I bring to the party. So- I bring some experience. Let me share that, but give exams. Oh, thank you. But no, thank you. So yeah, that type of learning. I just hope that's on its way out because it is so the experiential, like the experience you have is what you have to teach more than anything else. And anybody, I mean, just like you personally, but everybody, that's what people want. When I, when I go to see some of these kids, mm-hmm. I go, well, okay, so how many of you want to be an economist? Silence, nothing. Well, what if I told you you're all going to be economists, whether you like it or not? And people go, what's that? Well, think about it. I mean, you run a business. You care about what's happening to the economy. If it's yeah. in a slump, you got a problem. You care about inflation. You care about interest rates. You care about whether you can get employees. All of that is economics. You just don't think of it in those terms, but yeah. you're going to use it. You'll talk about it with your parents, your friends, your coworkers. You talk about it all the time. So yeah. Everybody's an economist the way I see it. Well, if you don't think about it, it thinks about you, doesn't it? Well, well <laughs> that seems to be true. I want to go back to you. You said you love the Fed. Tell me, yes. about, what do you love about the Fed? I was a kid coming out of the University of Maryland. Mm-hmm. The Fed hires PhDs from all the named schools, the Harvins, the Princes. So I snuck in the back door. Mm-hmm. I guess they took me because I graduated from the University of Maryland, kind of close by right there in College Park. But in school, what do you get? You get all that little theoretical stuff. The Federal Reserve does not operate in the theoretical world. They operate in the real world. So somehow they taught me how to take all these little things that I learned in school and apply them to what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And then here I am. I'm a young kid coming out, just joining this group. They gave me an opportunity to brief the Board of Governors. These are the guys and women who are setting interest rates throughout the whole country. This was a powerful group of people. It was Paul Volcker and Arthur Burns and all of these folks going back. You sit down in the same room. They're at one end of the table and the little team of economists that briefs the board every week is at the other end of the table. So I know what I said and I know what the guy on my right and left said. So I knew everything that they knew. And then at the end, they raise their hands and are going to raise rates. You go, ah, I kind of know why they did that. It gave me 
young kid some real insight into what I call sort of Fed think. What is it that drives these people? That was my first job out of school, Rodney. I mean, yeah. how lucky could I have been to have gotten that position? It was wonderful. It was exciting. The Fed would raise rates and I'd go home, see mom. That was that was me. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was an ego trip. It was fun. Um those people were some of the smartest, brightest people I ever ran across. I mean, they just taught me everything. They got my career just off to the right start. Where'd it go from there? Went to well, went to went to Wall Street. Right. I'll give you another one more story about Oh, as many stories as you got. That's what we're here for. I'm doing my job is to do the money supply. Just for your What's the money? It's just a measure of liquidity. It's what the cash you got in your wallet, what's in your checking account, money funds. That's it. It's just a measure of liquidity. My little job, put out those little numbers every Thursday night. And it used to be that that was important. And the market, they come out at 4.30 on Thursday and the markets would go crazy. My job. Late 79, inflation is double digit. Paul Volcker is the head of the Fed. They were targeting interest rates at the time. He could see that interest rates were going to have to go to 20% or higher. If you're the Federal Reserve and you're controlling interest rates and interest rates go to 20%, who's the bad guy? You are. We got to change this. We can't do this. We're not targeting this anymore. We're going to target the money supply. Well, he neglected to tell me (laughs) what he was going to do. Nobody at the Fed knew exactly how to sort of target the money supply, but we spent six months learning. So the markets now suddenly, they like to know, think they know how the Fed thinks. This was totally different. Never done this. But it was my job. (laughs) I have often joked that that was the Steve Slifer Full Employment Act of 1979. (laughs) (laughs) It was just fun. Again, Sherlock, right place, right time. Um, that's kind of moved me to Wall Street, and I spent most of that time after that with Lehman Brothers. That was exciting. I enjoyed it thoroughly. What do you do? Because everybody, and this is like coming from a, a standpoint of an artist who doesn't really know. I've known many people to work on Wall Street. I hear that term over and over. What does it mean to work on Wall Street? Depends on exactly what you do. And mm-hmm. this, this is relevant to the play. Mm-hmm. You know, Lehman Brothers, investment banking. But they trade bonds, they trade equity. So you have traders, you have salespeople. So they're telling their clients sort of what they're supposed to do with equities or bonds. And then they have investment bankers whose job is to work with companies and say, gee, we need to raise X amount of money. How are we going to do this? Do we want to issue stock? Do we want to issue bonds? So it's all about sort of how companies are going to finance something. It's about trading. Mm-hmm. And when when a, one of these Wall Street firms is trading, there's risk involved, um, but it's exciting. So here I am, a kid coming out of the coming out of the, the Federal Reserve, and I get plunked down on this trading floor. It's huge, and there's this noise of people just screaming and yelling back and forth. Well, that was sort of exciting, mm-hmm. and it was fun. Here's my job: I'm not a trader, I'm not a salesperson, I'm not an investment, I'm an economist. So I'm not in one of the major areas of the firm, but the information I provided to all those people was important to them or their clients. So I kind of benefited all areas of the firm. 
So they plunked me down in the trading desk. So the idea was when all, any of these little economic indicators come out, whether it's GDP or the consumer price index or whatever it is, I've made a forecast of this. And I'm right, I'm wrong. The home team's making money off of my forecast, losing money off of my forecast. That's pretty heady. That's fun. That's like being at the blackjack table all day long. Yeah. Okay, that, that's good. And I guess they must have been winning more than losing because I still had a job, so that was a good thing. But it was exciting. And even if it wasn't any of my economic numbers, you know, all of a sudden, there's a buzz on the other side of the room. You go, oh, my God, oh, my God, what's that all about? And it was just truly exciting. I thought I'd be there five years. I thought, well, I'll make a few bucks and then I'll leave. I couldn't do it. It was just so much fun. I was having such a good time. One year just kept leading to another, to another, to another. And all of a sudden, you're the past 20-some years doing this. And so it felt like it a calling. The, it was yeah. the excitement that yeah. I think. It was the excitement and the people. I loved the people. Um, and they would basically, I'd go around a couple of times around the, the, the world each time. Two times to Europe, two times to Asia, a couple laps around the U.S. And I'm going in in all of these people telling my story about what I think is going to happen in, in the United States. The salespeople would just take care of me. I used to love to go to Europe in February. Mm-hmm. Cold. I'd start in the Netherlands. Why? Because there was a there was a lady there who was a salesperson. She was married, had a couple of kids. She invited me over to the house for dinner. She took me skating on the on the canals in Amsterdam. It was just fun. She didn't have to do any of that. These were just genuinely nice people. And so I I thoroughly enjoyed the whole time I was there at Lehman Brothers. I got to see a lot of the world too on top of it. I got to go around the world and it was it was wonderful. So there and and, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's this real predictive nature to what you do. Like you have to predict what's going to Yeah. I yeah. make forecasts of some of that stuff. Yeah. And I make how, forecasts of a lot of stuff. How do you go about that? Oh, like, that could be that's a really long discussion. Much <laughs> longer than what we're gonna talk about here. It's kind of history. Think about it this way. I mean Economists, when you're coming up with a forecast, you're looking back well over the last 20 years, you know, when the world has looked sort of like this, here's what's happened to the economy, here's what's happened to inflation. So you get something and you build little models. Economists love to build models. And you go, well, back in 1978, when the sun and the moon were all aligned, you know, this is what happened. So your model spits out something. The problem is the world has changed. <laughs> Over that period of time. And now it seems to be changing even more quickly. Yeah. So the models might be a place to start. That's kind of okay. But there's judgment involved in all of this. Right. I mean, in the end, it comes down to judgment. What's your sense? Um, and that's where I think the years of experience that I've had perhaps differentiate me from some of my colleagues. The other thing that just me personally, I feel like I'm, talking about me here. But well, that's why you're here. But, well, <laughs> yeah. but somewhere along the line, early in my career, somebody said to me that if I can't explain this to my mother, then I really shouldn't be doing this. Such great, yeah. And I think that has really proven to be this great advice over the years that I am, it just seems like the one common denominator of feedback I get is that 
well, you were able to break that in, down into terms that even I, an actor, even whatever, somebody who's not involved in the financial business can understand. So that's the goal. That's what I try and do. Do you have, and I, I just can't uh, resist. What, where are we now? Like, if you look at it, do you, if you look at like now where we are and where we're headed, it seems, I mean, it's always, seen, I, I think it's like everybody always looks back and goes, it's the worst time ever. It's the best time ever. It does seem particularly strange right now. Is, is that accurate? It is strange. Yeah. Things are changing fast. And, and not to mention the fact we were in a political year, so you got all the political right. spins. But nobody nobody can sort of put that into a forecast. How do you know what's going to happen? Who's going to win in November? Who are the candidates going to be? Who's going to win? What kind of makeup do we have? So that's that's a whole other wild card. But right now, as I look at the economic things, I think we're doing okay. Yeah. Not to say that the economy is going to be rip snorting, but it's going to keep going. We've gotten to the point where interest rates have stabilized and look like they're going to be coming down as the year progresses. That's a huge plus for the market. Um, consumers, you ask us how we feel. All the surveys look at this. And they, we feel terrible. I know, we are scared to death. And you go, oh, well, that must be important. But then look at their spending. They just keep spending. Yeah. So something doesn't square with that. Yeah. The level of consumer confidence today is kind of like it where, where it was in 2008 when Lehman was going belly up. And I'm going, wait a minute. This doesn't feel at all like 2008 to me. This right. is goofy. So why is that? I, I guess there's a lot of reasons. I think one of the things, particularly for older folks, prices went up dramatically in 2020 and 2020 when the economy shut down. We had that big surge. Fed says, don't worry, it's going to come back down. But what it means is interest rates, sort of prices went up, go up 9%. It doesn't mean the Fed is not talking about them prices coming down 9%. Oh, no, no, no. It's saying prices went up 9%, and we've got this under control going forward. They're only going to rise 2%. So if, if I kind of cut through this, it would have been here, and now suddenly, whoosh, they're up over here, and they haven't come down. Right. And so- if you're one of those, pick a number, a lower income families, you got X amount of money to spend on the necessity, on housing, on food, on get all of them cost a lot more. You're really yes. getting squeezed. Yeah. So I think some of that explains why when you do these surveys, people say we feel terrible. And for many people, that's justifiable. But the other hand is we like to travel. We like to go to the theater. We like to go to movies. We like to do all these sort of things. So we keep spending. Yeah. So I think we're okay. Inflation is coming down. The economy is going to be all right. Interest rates are coming. What's not to like? Yeah. And, and that's what it's like. I listen to this. You listen to the podcast called Pivot. They talk a lot about tech in the economy and how the feeling is so like it's horrible, it's horrible, it's horrible, but there's no real numbers to support that. And so in a way, I, I love what you said about how everybody's an economist, like it or not. But there's so much emotion that goes in when you don't understand something. And that emotion seems to kind of sway everything. And I think we think of numbers as non-emotional. Is there a way in which is that does that resonate with you at all? I do. No, I would I guess I wouldn't buy into the emotional thing so much, mm -hmm. but but the hard thing is that that you say, Steve, what do you think? So I'll give you my view. Why should you believe me? There's a gajillion other economists out there. Yeah. And I can assure you that the next guy you're going to talk to is going to say the world is ending. So 
you don't have the background for that. How do you pick who you're supposed to believe to believe? And my whole thing has been, I'm telling a story. Okay, here's kind of one of it. But here are the half a dozen things that I looked at to kind of get me there. And I'll show you pictures of all of these things. In the end, you decide. This is kind of what I conclude from this. You can reach your own conclusion. And it may be different from mine, and that's perfectly okay. But it's it's hard because people don't view themselves as an economist. They are, but they don't know that. And so, you know, you're left getting all these different opinions. And when I was working at Lehman, so I would be the press, the Wall Street Journal and CNBC and all these things would sort of find. Well, we had this new, can you come out and give us some comments? And so I'd give them some comments and maybe it would be a positive spin. I can bet a dime to a donut. The next guy who comes up on that is going to have this really negative spin. So again, how does anybody know what the, I heard these two guys are conflicting and that's why I think it's important for people to kind of know why I believe what I do not so much my conclusions right but well, how did I get there what did I look like what did I look at to kind of yeah. reach those conclusions the story part is so interesting too because that's what we do it's like you're telling stories and that's I we really believe I mean I believe it's like that's how humans process any information you process it in a story um with the way the press is, it's exactly like you said, one person tells this, one person tells you that. They're different stories. How much does that sway the overall economy, these different stories that we're getting? I have a bunch of data that I look at. So, uh-huh. and, and like this morning, we got data on the consumer pricing. It was kind of as expected. So there wasn't one of those really exciting numbers where it did something different. But my conclusions are going to be drawn on that data. Somebody else might look at the same data until you see the CPI, but there's 150 different little tidbits that go into it. And I'll look at a whole bunch of them. So it's kind of data, data driven, but I am looking at the various little tidbits rather than listening to my colleagues and say, well, Joe Schmoo over here, he kind of thinks this, so I got to tilt that direction. I think I'm smarter than most of them. Yeah. Um, Am I going to get it wrong? Of course I'm going to get it wrong from time to time. I like to think that I've been in the business long enough that maybe I've got a track record that's a little better than, than usual. Um, but I, I'm not really swayed by what other people think. Economists have this unfortunate tendency to be doomsayers. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it's almost like they think they score brownie points if they're the first person to sort of call for the recession. Yeah. All right, that's nice. When I when I was at the Fed, there was this one. We were we come into the Fed about the same time. We spent ten years there. He went to Wall Street. I went to Wall Street. He was he suddenly he seemed to have this negative bias. I seem to have a positive bias. And so for years I'd hear about what he was talking about. Well, you know, Morgan Stanley has got this. And it'd be this really negative sort of thing. On and on and on. he's wrong for twenty years. Two thousand eight comes along. See, I told you so. Yeah. <laughs> How can you get off with this? I mean, yeah. you've been wrong for so long. He got to be a vice chairman at Morgan Stanley, so it doesn't seem like it matters too much how right or wrong you are. Uh, it's just just interesting paths. But I I tend to be the optimistic economist rather than the doomsday guy. Well, and it's very much like performance. Like we as performance theater, we get a script. 
all these other theaters get a script. We try very hard not to base what we do off of what other people think or say. You interpret the data or the information, and then you tell the story. And I think it's it's a very similar process. Sounds that way. And um, and the the question is that when you have so many different people different telling the story, does it change the atmosphere? In other words, if you have too many people talking negative, does that change the consumer? In other words, are we in a p- place with this consumer that they've been told so often that it's bad that they believe that it's bad, so that it becomes bad? I'm sure you guys, you get, you, you must read the reviews of mm-hmm. the, the play. And they all have a spin, much like what the press is giving to all these economic data. And you know what? Some of those people have got some good insight into things. Mm-hmm. And it's perfectly okay, I think, to, to incorporate that. Oh, wait a minute. This is something I hadn't thought about when I read this play. Or this is something I hadn't thought about when I looked at these numbers. That's okay. And it makes, hopefully, makes for a better production for you. I think that sort of feedback is useful. You know what? It makes you think. Which right. is what I like about Pure, yeah. that you know, we loved Off-Broadway and Off-Off-Broadway we were in New York because they made you think. This isn't the musicals and No, No, Nanette and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you think. And I like that. Yeah. I mean, I, the most fun part, I dare say, for this whole room is to sort of go home afterwards or go out to dinner afterwards and go, that was the weirdest thing I ever saw. What <laughs> the hell was that We've about? done that one a few times. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the fun part yes. of all this? You have all sorts of different views. That's what I like about the theater. Well, that's what, and that's why we exist. We exist to, you know, provoke those questions, and and that interest and that passion, um, which it sounds is very much the same thing you do. You know, it's just in a different field. Different field. Um, if we go to Lehman, if we go back to Lehman Brothers. When you started working at at Lehman, who, what was the culture, and what was the past? How much of the past of the Lehman Brothers was was the was the culture aware of, or or was it just something completely different? I think it was more about this is a place where you're going to make a lot of money. Mm. To me, when I hear it, right, making money is a pursuit versus making money to hoard and spend. And when I hear people who love to make money. Generally, they love to make money like I love to make theater. It's something I love. I think it's fair. It's the process. Not, it's a passion. It's yeah, a game. Not the result. Exactly. And the, the complete um, value, um, you know, the, the carrot, so to speak, is so desired. But at the end of the day, it's not even technically real. And that's can you spend. Exactly. I, mean, I don't care who yeah. you are. Yeah, uh, it's but it was a game. It was enjoyable. I enjoyed the game. As I told you, I got caught up in the excitement. That mm-hmm. has nothing to do with the money. I'd have been there yeah. if they'd have paid one hundred and two dollars a year. I think it right. Was just it, it was, was the pursuit. Fun. Yeah, it, it, and I like being having a forecast, and then and there's going to be a moment of truth when that thing is right or that thing is wrong, and the home team is making money. The home team's losing money in part because of your forecast. How exciting is that? You know, I mean, it it it, it was enjoyable, yeah. um, and I like the people. All those guys, and I'm sure the, the the ones that you know of, sort of were there at the end. These were all people that I knew that I worked with every single day. Dick Fold hired me 
all of those other guys. I don't know how which ones you sort of have picked, you know, at the end or what which ones come up. But Joe Gregory, I mean, we've been I did all sorts of things with Joe, both socially as well as professionally. He was a he was a fun loving guy. Mm-hmm. But then he got after I left, then he sort of got too big for his britches. Then he's out there, he's got this helicopter, and he's going back and forth the around every day on his helicopter. That's not the Joe I know. He was yeah. a, just a young kid out there just having a good time. But you know what? He was a good leader. Yeah. He was a very good leader. Joe was one of those kind of guys that, you know, he'd sort of tell you to do something. It wasn't what you wanted to do. But he'd convince you to do it and then make you think it was your idea. idea. <laughs> <laughs> How did he do that? He was good. All of those guys. Every single one. I would go back and I would work for any one of them again. Yeah. If I were ever to think about going back to work or doing something. I have no qualms whatsoever working for, with any of them. Ever. I liked them. Yeah. And that includes Dick Bold. Yeah. When it, so when you left, was there... Other than just time, you were moving on to the next thing. Was there any reason, or it was just time? What? what here's here's the here's a better question. How did you know it was time to go? I got a little. I got a little push. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was one of those things. You know, we come out of the 2000, 2000 the, the the recession. There, it wasn't a big one, but Wall Street is looking to cut corners. So you've got somebody that's been around 20, 25 years, making a fair amount of dough. And it's not, I mean, it's not just me personally, but a lot of folks. But they're making a lot of dough. You can replace them with somebody who's half their age and making a third of whatever it is that they were making. You know, was I pissed off at the time? Yeah. Um, but in the end, was it a big, was it a bad thing? No. I, I, in my more rational moments, I'll say, yeah, I might have done the same thing. So it was with a little bit of encouragement. Okay. Happens to all sorts of people. Wall right. Street is not the kind of thing anymore where you're going to stick around for 25 years and end up with this gold watch. I mean, it ain't right. They will keep you on as long as you're producing and they will demand your loyalty. Um, And I can't say it's always reciprocated. That wasn't true throughout my career. When I first started, you get hired as a salesperson Mm -hmm. and maybe you're just not working out the way you thought or that they had hoped. They would try really hard to find another position within the firm for you, either as a, uh, a trader or an investment banker or something. They would try to work with you, but that was in the early 80s. Yeah. The yes. world is different. Com- competition is just too cutthroat. And so, you know, if you're going to be in Wall Street, you just have to face up to the fact that it's a, a high-risk position. That's the you, game. You, you do well. You can hang around for a while. Uh, but if you don't, it's, they're not just going to stick with you. This doesn't happen. Do you see what Wall Street is ending? In other words, it's changing. Do you see a time when it doesn't work? No, I think it will adapt. And you through AI, well, okay, that's coming. How's that going to change things? I'm not smart enough to know exactly why, but I don't think there's ever AI. What is AI? It's Artificial intelligence is based on data. Now, it can the models that I used to build were based on 10, 12 different variables. Now they can have 483,000 little variables. You get more information, but it's all based on history mm-hmm. of things that have happened. Can that help? Will it help you build better models? Maybe. But it's, so all these people now do surveys. 
Well, exactly. What's the quality of the surveys that they're doing? Mm -hmm. I've tried to do surveys. That is hard to do. And you're taking data from a little small group and blowing it up into this huge total. That's a high risk thing. You can be really, really very wrong. So now you've got all these little surveys. It's all publicly available information. Guess what? That feeds into AI. So they're going to pile all this stuff in there. And it's the old saying that garbage in, garbage out from your model. You know, if you have a bunch of crappy data, I'm sorry, AI isn't going to bail you out. It can analyze that data better. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean you get a better result. Having said that, I'm a big believer in AI. I think that it's going to help us in lots and lots of different ways. But back to your initial question, is that going to get rid of Wall Street? No. It'll force us to adapt. Um, what, what, is the, what is a driving factor that keeps it going, that whole culture? What keeps it, what keeps it in – because that's not only countries, the world. You know, it kind of drives the world. What is the – what would you th- say the factor is that keeps it going? Are you talking about sort of Wall Street in general? Remember, we trade bonds, we mm-hmm. trade equities. Yeah. The U.S. is the biggest economy in, in the world. So on my trips to Europe, on my trips to Asia, everybody wants to know, wherever you are, wants to know what's happening in the U.S., what's going to happen in the U.S. Because we are so big that we're going to drive, why did we buy stuff from all sorts of different countries? Well, if the economy is going in a slump, we're going to buy less stuff from everybody else. That matters to them. If interest rates in the U.S. are going up, guess what? Interest rates in Europe and Asia are going up just because of our sheer size. Why do people do that? Well, look at us. I mean, we're all sitting here trying to put some money away, save some money for retirement. So what are we supposed to be invested in? You know, bonds, stocks, um, you know, within the stock market. It's not just the stock market. Now you got, you got consumers, you got manufacturing, durable goods manufacturing. You got all sorts of different, which of those sectors should you be in? That's where firms like Lehman Brothers and Wall Street help. They have a whole cadre of salespeople who will work with all of us and sort of say, well, you know, now given your age and given what your income levels going forward are likely to be, we think you ought to be here, there, or wherever. It gives us some advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, and not to mention the fact that there's just money to be made by trading. You know, all sorts of people love to trade stocks. Again, it's, the, it's a game. It's a little form of gambling. You can go to the racetrack, but why? You can sit here. And be right on your computer and do the same thing. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going away, Rodney. I mean, it's, is it going to adapt? But look at what it was. Look, I look back at from the changes now from what it was when I started back in the 80s. It's just been dramatic. Think back to the time when Lehman Brothers in the 1850s. It was kind of commodities. You trade in, in, in commodities, wheat and cotton and all those sort of things. Yeah. It was kind of it. But it's evolved. The economy is involved. We, can you imagine the, the uproar that happened when we developed autos? What happened to all those little cart and buggy drivers? You know, we wiped them out, but the economy adapts. Something AI else. comes along. Guess what? We're going to adapt to that. Do I know what that's going to look like? No. Well, if you find out, you can let me know. Okay. I'll, <laughs> it'll be my first phone call. Um, what do you have? Anything you want to talk about coming up next? Anything you have people can find out about? No, not particularly. I do... I do a big conference at the Daniel Island Club in early December every year. I've been doing it for most of those years that I've been retired now. People seem to love it. I mean, it's in the ballroom. It's 
300 people can fit in the ballroom. They come at 7.30 on a Tuesday morning every year and they keep coming back. So God bless them. Thank you for coming. Is uh, it, can anybody go or does it sure. have to? Oh, and it, and it's, what's the, what's the, um, it's just, it's, it, it's the 2024 economic outlook. It's Steve Slifer's view of the world for the next year or two. When is it? It's in early December. I did this year on December oh, I 12th. Missed it. I'm going to go next year. Well, I'll put you on the list. <laughs> put Ryan. me on the list because that sounds fascinating. But you, you, I'll put you on the list to get my the, the stuff that I do. I, I have comments after it, but then once a week I write a, a thought piece. Thought piece being defined as you know a thousand words. Yeah. Um, and that sort of then goes out with a little Mailchimp blast on on Friday. So, so if people can find you. So be so yeah. So you. I, I mean, I'm doing this stuff all the time. Yeah. How can people? How how can people find you? Numbernomics.com. There you go. Number, number as in economics, but it's just numbernomics.com. Um, I'm trying to think if I want to ask anything else. You'll get, you're going to see the play. Yeah? What are you, what are you looking forward to? What do you, I mean, what? I'm looking forward towards the end when I, I, I can identify with those guys. Yeah. Every one of them I knew. Every one of them I liked. Dick Foles. We have a meeting every day. So I'm sitting there. And Dick, every day, he had this big, giant teddy bear in his office. And every day, he's got his little fingernail clip. He's clipping his fingernails every day. How can you do that? Does he have really long, fast-growing fingernails? <laughs> I don't know what to do. It was just one of little Dick's things. But I knew all these guys. Some of them I've been over to their houses. So, I mean, that's personal for me. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's fun and I will be interested to see how you treat them. The world, I don't think has treated them too kindly. Um, this is an interesting point. So at the end, so what happened that year, earlier in the year in the spring, Bear Stearns goes belly up. So you had like top five firms and then Bear Stearns was like number six. Come along, Bear Stearns has got the problem, same problems, taking the same kind of risk that Lehman Brothers. And they saved Bear, Bear Stearns. They merged him into something. So Lehman Brothers come along, and, and they were kind of picking them off from the bottom. And every firm, every one of them, all six, were all highly leveraged, just like Lehman Brothers. So here comes Lehman Brothers. And so all of a sudden, the bad red. Every one of them is reliant on getting money that they have borrowed in the market every single day, every day. So you save Bear Stearns. Here comes Lehman Brothers. Uh-oh. Big problem with Lehman Brothers. Do we, so down to the end, we've got the Treasury Secretary and the Fed Chair. Do we going to save them or are we going to let them go? They chose to let us go. Nobody could. We know what, we know what happened afterwards. What about that decision? In my view, the people who were making that decision were all ex-Goldman people. The rivalry between Lehman and Goldman goes back to those 1850s. Mm. Here's 150, 160 years of this rivalry. Now you have a chance to stick it to one of your competitors. Do you take it? Is that the right thing to do? Obviously, they chose to stick it to the competitor. That's the Steve Slifer little take on what happened. And I suspect there's probably a little bit of truth in it somewhere. Um, But then, so they let Lehman Brothers go. And then the, the B of A's, the, the Merrill's, the ones that are above them, they save all of them. Why Lehman? That's the only, the only reason I can come up with. Aha. You got the chance now. You'd like to think they were above that, but yeah. it is. it's, it's not a the, nice place anymore. It's the way it worked out. Thank you so much for uh, 
My pleasure. Happy today. to do it, Rodney. Thanks so much for tuning in today. That was Steve Slifer. Be sure to keep up with him at numbernomics.com. I'll also have that uh, link in the show notes. Well, the Lehman Trilogy is up at the theater, and I must say it is stunning. I got to see it the other night. Just an extraordinary show. So be sure to get out and see that if you will. And be sure to like, subscribe, whatever you do these days to the podcast. We're up and running now. Love to keep it going. Tune in next week when our guest will be none other than Sharon Gracie, Artistic Director of Pure Theater and Director of the Lehman Trilogy. Until then, have a fantastic week.